Good morning, Christ Point. If you have your Bibles, please turn with me to James chapter 1. Uh, James chapter 1, it's hard to believe, but it was uh, 10 years ago, uh, not quite to the day, but about a decade ago, that Melissa and I found ourselves bored uh, one Saturday morning. And so I looked at her and said, Melissa, what would you like to do today? She said, I don't know. What, what would you like to do? And I said, well, you know, the sky's the limit. You name it, we'll do it. And she said to me, well, James, I saw a sign for puppies for sale on Dorida Road. And she thought, you know, we should go look at it. And so we did. I don't know if you've ever stopped to think of the impact that a sign like that has on a family. But it can be a game changer. Melissa and I went to that home on Derrida Road. Seventeen minutes later, we were driving to PetSmart for dog supplies. We had in tow a little Jack Russell Terrier, who we named Jack. You can see a picture of Jack this morning. He's sticking out his tongue at me. Jack has been a faithful companion. He has been a loved pet by our children. And most importantly, Jack has been a constant source of sermon illustrations. Uh, Jack, Jack is special. He's special. He has a ton of energy. He becomes overly excited when people come over uh, to the house. It's been a decade, but Jack will not chill out. He has nearly ended every friendship of ours from those who have offered to watch Jack when we were out of town. Good relationships that we're still hanging on to uh, to this day. They... To this day, Jack, of course, has many fine qualities. I don't want to throw Jack under the bus. I can't think of any of them off the top of my head, but they're there. Uh, One growth opportunity for Jack is oftentimes when we leave the house, Jack does things that Jack shouldn't do. Right now, as I speak, Jack could be doing things that Jack shouldn't do. Occasionally when we leave the house, uh, it will be an accident, but someone will leave the pantry door open, which normally for many folks is not a big deal except for the fact that we put our trash uh, in the pantry. And so when we open up the pantry door or we leave it open just to crack, a Jack will walk over to the pantry. And I don't know the thought going through Jack's mind. Uh, But I I believe that he has an internal conflict because on one hand, Jack knows he has been taught, he has been disciplined uh, to not get into the trash. But on the other hand, Jack sees an opportunity. Jack sees potential. Uh, Jack sees tasty treats just sitting for him in the trash. Oftentimes when we come home, Uh, When we arrive back from wherever we've been, I'll open up the front door and it doesn't take long for me to realize what has happened. I see trash on the kitchen floor. The coffee filter full of grounds, there they are in the middle of the kitchen. There'll be a half-eaten chicken bone that'll be strategically placed in the living room and there'll be a Ziploc bag, roughly 40 to 60% of it consumed by our dog. I I don't know why the question is asked, but it usually is. Oftentimes it comes uh, from one of our kids. Uh, They will walk in the house, 
stop and go, what happened? Quite honestly, I don't think that's the best question to ask under the circumstances. I think if we were being honest with ourselves, we would be able to connect the dots and we would be able to clearly identify what exactly happened. Jack, our beloved family pet, uh, once again uh, has made a mess. Did you ever make a, a mess before? Do you ever find yourself at a point in time in life when you look around uh, and you see you see the trash around you and you think to yourself, what happened? Like, how did I end up here? James, in his letter to the church, uh, answers the question, what happened? Uh, What happened when we find that we've made a mess of things? James is kind enough to open up the hood uh, to the human heart and explain uh, to you and to me uh, how it all goes down. Uh, He does so in James chapter 1, beginning in verse 13. And so if you have your Bibles, please uh, turn with me there. James chapter 1, beginning in verse 13. James writes to the scattered church, And says to them, let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Uh, James first identifies the culprit uh, by pointing out who is not responsible uh, when we make a mess of things. Uh, James reminds the audience, and he reminds you and me, uh, that God is not responsible for the mess. God is not responsible for the mess. God cannot be tempted with evil, James writes, because God tempts no one. Uh, Certainly there are times in life when God, the loving Father, tests His kids. Uh, He tested the first humanity in the garden. You could argue that Adam and Eve were tested. Uh, He tested Isaac, or tested Abraham with his son Isaac. Uh, He tested His own people, the Israelites, as they wandered through the wilderness. God certainly tests His people, but He doesn't tempt them to sin. Uh, God doesn't dangle the proverbial carrot in front of our noses just waiting to see if we will slip up. Uh, The Trinity uh, doesn't stand in heaven with the pantry door cracked open to see what we'll do. God is a loving Father to His kids. Uh, He doesn't tempt us, uh, but He does test us. Thomas Watson once wrote, God permits sin, but He doesn't promote it. God permits sin, but He doesn't promote it. It is true that during a test we may be tempted uh, to sin, but that does not come uh, from God. We are tempted by the world, uh, by the flesh, uh, by the devil. 
but we are not tempted by God. It's just not in his character. Uh, And nevertheless, we oftentimes find uh, that we can make a, a bit of a mess of life and we are apt, we're tempted uh, to blame just about anyone but ourselves. All of us are all stars in the blame game. Uh, did you ever find yourself sitting in the mess of a decision that you've made and thought to yourself, uh, you know who's at fault here? And then you begin to make a list of all the responsible parties. And seldom is your name on the top of that list. This has been the case from the beginning, really, when you think about it. Genesis chapter 3 tells the story of the fall. And we're reminded that humanity has been playing the blame game since the beginning of time. Genesis chapter 3, verse 8 reads, And they, Adam and Eve, heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Verse 9, But the Lord God called to the man and said, Where are you? What a question. And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? And the man said, the woman whom you gave uh, to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate. Then the Lord said to the woman, what is this that you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. Uh, This is the first record that we have of the blame game. The God of the universe goes to man and essentially says, hey, what, what happened? What went down? And without missing a beat, Adam says, well, Lord, it's funny you should ask, uh, the woman, the woman that you gave to me, she's to blame. Perhaps you should have a conversation with her. And God does. And she plays the same game. Uh, It was the serpent Uh, that you gave to me. He deceived me. Uh, We've been playing this game our whole lives. If you have a brother or a sister, you've played this game before. Uh, Your mom or your dad has said to you in the middle of an argument, "What's what's going on? What's happening? And you say, he started it. She started it. It wasn't me. We play the blame game. We look to someone else. We say, they're at fault. He's at fault. She's at fault. It was my parents. They raised me. It was my upbringing. I had no choice in the matter. I was young. I was dumb. I didn't know better. I didn't think it through. If you were to ask Jack, the Jack Russell Terrier, who was responsible for getting into the trash, I I can almost imagine Jack saying, I didn't leave the door open. I found it that way. He would follow it up with a reminder that he is, in fact, a four-legged friend. He's a dog, and that's what dogs do. In his desperation, he may say to me or to Melissa, I didn't ask to be in this home. 
You were bored one Saturday a decade ago, and you got me. Will Rogers once said that there are two eras in American history, the passing of the buffalo and the passing of the buck. Someone else is responsible. It wasn't me. We can even be so bold as to spiritualize it and point a finger at God. Hey, he's sovereign, right? I mean, he's, he's in control. God ordains. And after all, this is the way that he made me. I, I've always had a problem with my anger. I've always struggled with pride. Lust has always been a thing. This is the way that God made me. It wasn't me. James writes to the church and says when it comes to temptation and and chasing after those desires we have, uh, God is not to blame. If God is not to blame, who is responsible? James tells us in verse 14, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Uh, James identifies the culprit. He opens up the hood to the human heart. He pulls back uh, the curtain, so to speak, and notes that every person is lured away, is enticed by his own desires. All of us here this morning have desires. And desire, uh, in and of itself, is not a bad thing. Desire can be actually a good thing. It can be, but not always. A desire to provide for your family isn't a bad thing. An insatiable desire for riches is. A desire to, live, uh, to love your children isn't a bad thing. Creating a world uh, that revolves around them is. A desire for career growth isn't a bad thing. An envious heart and a constant sense of discontent uh, is. A desire for physical intimacy with your spouse is a good thing. It's a beautiful thing. But when those desires uh, take you outside of marriage, it is a bad thing. All desire isn't bad. But here in the context, James is teaching us, is reminding us that desire, when it is let loose, uh, ends up uh, putting, on, putting us on a dead-end road. I have something that I don't want, and I want it. Not only do I want it, but I need it. Not only do I need it, but I must have it. And so I'm going to get it. This is how sin works. James writes that we are lured and enticed. To lure means to tempt a person or thing to do something or to go somewhere, especially by offering some form of reward. I don't know if we have any fishermen or fisherwomen here this morning, but think about uh, the power of a lure. You go to Academy, Vic's Sporting Goods, and you find that perfect lure. It's that little tiny fish. It's painted all beautiful. You just know that when it goes through the water, it shimmers and shines. 
it communicates to all the other big fish. You can have me. Right? But underneath that fish, there's usually a hook or two or three. And it just goes through the water baiting a fish to come and to eat it. Hook, line, and sinker. Uh, James is writing to the church and, and says that sin is like that. We are, we are lured away and enticed. Uh, James writes uh, by our own desires. All of us have desires. All, all of us have sinful desires. I mean, things that, that we struggle with or wrestle with. Many times they are unique to us. Your temptation, your desire may be different than the person that you're sitting to uh, this morning. Uh, But we all have them. The point isn't to compare them, to put them on a ladder of significance or badness. We have them. We all do. And James writes to the church, and he says to you and to me, uh, that we are lured and and we are enticed uh, by our own desires. Scripture calls them the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, or the pride of life. There is a lot that falls under uh, those categories. But, But James writes to the church and says, you are lured away, you are enticed, by, by your desires. Uh, it is a sobering thing uh, to be reminded that potentially the greatest enemy uh, in the Christian life is you and me. It's not out there. It's not coming from someone else or from circumstances. It is, it is my uh, human heart and it is yours. James wrote to the church and says, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. James pulls back the curtain and he shows us how this happens. We're lured away by our own desire, and desire when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it uh, is fully grown, uh, brings forth death. A sin always over-promises and under-delivers. It promises us some sense of joy or contentment or fulfillment that we don't have. And then we chase after it, uh, and we realize or find that we are at a place that we never thought that we would be. When I read this the other week, I couldn't help but think of the story of David and Bathsheba that's recorded in 1 Samuel. Perhaps you're familiar with the story. Scripture reads in 1 Samuel chapter 11, in the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out of the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah, but David remained in Jerusalem. Verse 2, one evening David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of the palace. From the roof he saw a woman bathing, and the woman uh, was very beautiful. You know the story. 
David finds himself the wrong place uh, at the wrong time. I think it was uh, Sinclair Ferguson or Alistair Begg that talked about uh, the, the danger of when our desire uh, intersects with opportunity. When desire uh, intersects uh, with opportunity. Now, oftentimes, that is a dangerous street corner. James described it this way. Desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth uh, death. Uh, Three takeaways this morning from James chapter 1. If it is true that our desires, when met with opportunity, uh, lead us to potentially make a mess of life, then it seems wise uh, to avoid opportunity. It seems wise to avoid opportunity. It seems wise in life to shut the pantry door. If you're allergic to dogs, uh, you shouldn't work at a kennel. Uh, you might have a reaction. Uh, In life, there are times when we uh, make decisions that will result in us avoiding opportunity. That's not legalism. That's wisdom. Avoiding opportunity for you uh, might look different than avoiding opportunity for the person next to you. But there's wisdom in making decisions in life where we close the pantry door. I'm going to avoid that. Maybe not because I'm so spiritually mature, but because in part I know my own heart. Avoid opportunity. Secondly, Uh, Avoiding opportunity or opportunity isn't my biggest problem. Uh, My fickle heart is my biggest problem. Uh, Just because we closed the pantry door uh, when we left Jack this morning uh, does not make Jack a good dog. It just means that he can't get into the pantry. Jack... Jack has some desire inside of him that if given the opportunity, uh, he will take advantage of it uh, just about every time. And so what we need, what you need, and what I need, what we're desperate for, is not just a life avoiding opportunity, uh, but a life where we experience changed affection where God gives us new desires. I love what Thomas Chalmers wrote in his great book, The Expulsive Power of a New Affection. He said, The love of the world cannot be expunged by a mere demonstration of the world's worthlessness. But may it not be supplanted by the love of that which is more worthy than itself? 
Let me read it again. The love of the world cannot be expunged by a mere demonstration of the world's worthlessness. You can't just look at the world and go, that's dumb. He says, that doesn't work. But then he asks the question, but may it not be supplanted by the love of that which is more worthy than itself? What he is saying, what he's arguing, is that we sin ultimately because we love it. We chase after things, whatever this thing is, because we want it. And the heart wants what it wants. But, but he said, is it not possible for us to have a greater love, greater affection, greater desires? And so what we, as followers of Jesus, pray is, God, change my heart. Like, give me new affections. Give me new desires. God, I long for the approval of others. I long for it. God, would you change my heart? Would you change me? God, I'm obsessed with my appearance. I I care too deeply about what other people think about how I look. God, would you help me? God, I I love money. I think it's going to give me opportunity. I think it's going to give me safety. I think it's going to bring me joy. God, would you change my heart? God, I think about myself way too much. I am self-absorbed. God, make it stop. God, I'm so proud. Would you humble me? God, I'm, I'm so driven by my desires. Give me a desire for you. Our greatest problem is not simply opportunity. Our greatest problem is our fickle heart. So pray that God would change our hearts. Uh, if you are here this morning, and maybe you already find yourself on the corner of desire and opportunity. Maybe for you, the practical step this morning isn't going, boy, I really need to avoid opportunity. And maybe it's more than simply going, geez, I really need new affection. Maybe this morning, you're going, like I've already made a mess of things. Like the door was open and I went in. When we come home after Jack has gotten into the trash, uh, more often than not, uh, he will not greet us. He'll stay where he is uh, with his head buried and he'll sit in his shame. Like he knows what he's done. Maybe for you this morning, you feel that. It's not about avoiding opportunity. It's not only about God changing your heart. You're going like, what do I do now? Because everything that was in the trash is out. Uh, If that is you this morning, then I want to remind you that when we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us 
of all unrighteousness. I love what author and uh, pastor Eric Geiger wrote. He said, wondering if there's enough forgiveness for your sin is like a child wondering if there is enough water in the ocean for his sippy cup. Uh, There is grace and forgiveness for you. Uh, And that is good news. Would you pray with me? Father, I pray that by the power of your Spirit that you would uh, cause us to uh, stay out of our own way. That you would give us the strength uh, to avoid opportunities uh, despite the cost or how other people might perceive it. God, we pray for changed hearts and affections. Help us to love you and your name more so than we love anything else in the world. God, for your brothers and sisters who are here this morning, who feel convicted, who feel shame, I pray that you would remind them by the power of your spirit of the forgiveness uh, that is theirs when they come to you. You already know nothing that we ever say or confess catches you off guard or surprises you. And so thank you for the forgiveness that is ours in Jesus uh, by faith. God, we love you. We thank you so much for loving us first. We pray these things in Jesus' name and by your spirit. Amen.